0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, have you listened to episode one of Build Your Brand podcast yet? No? Well, then pause this episode right now and search for Build Your Brand podcast using the podcast app that you're listening to right now. Go. Do it. I'll wait. Search Build Your Brand Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, however you're listening right now. Or you can go to entrearchitect.com slash BYB and you can listen to it there as well. And don't forget to click the subscribe button. You won't want to miss not, not one single episode. Every new episode builds on what you learned in the last episode. There are 12 episodes. One every two weeks. So subscribe right now to build your brand podcast and you'll be sent each and every one. Okay. All subscribed over at build your brand. Well, then let's get on with this week's episode here at Entre Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 315, successful strategies for working with your remote team as a small firm architect with Doug Miller of Brightworks Group. This episode of Entree Architect podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And our friends at ArcHat, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more for free at archat.com. Doug Miller, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Good morning, thanks very much for having me on today. Uh, This is going to be fun because you, you and I just had a little pre-conversation before we hit record, and this is a conversation that I love to have. And I know that this is a conversation that so many of our community members here at Entree Architect are thinking about right now. They've been thinking about it for a long time. We're small firm architects, sole practitioners. Many of us are having this conversation. Now, in the moment that we're living in this, in this world, uh, this conversation becomes so much more relevant. So let's have that conversation. But before we do, let me in- introduce you Doug is a 30 year veteran of the information technology industry. He currently is the CEO, CTO of Brightworks Group LLC in Indiana. Brightworks Group provides an IT platform that helps companies address the full scope of their information technology needs as a utility. But before we dive into that and our conversation today, I want to learn more about you Doug. I want you to go back to where you discovered your passion for what you do today and give us the story uh, of how you got to the to the place you are today
1: sure sure absolutely well i uh as a 30 year veteran yeah as you might guess i uh I pretty much grew up with this stuff um I had a father who was a a technician in the Air Force, and he was very, very interested in the uh, PC revolution as far back as the mid-70s. So uh, he and I literally built our first home computer as a Heath kit in about 1974 or 1975. (laughs) And uh, the first actual commercial computer I had was a Commodore PET 2001 series, that we bought in 1976, um, serial number 97. I believe it has a lower serial number than the Commodore PET that is in the Smithsonian Institution. Right. Do you
0: still have it? Still have
1: it. Oh, haven't that's tried. Awesome. To, haven't tried to boot it for a long time. Yeah. But um, you know, whopping 4K of memory and a tape drive. Um, so I, I was exposed to this very early, but as as many young men do. Um, you know, my father was, was convinced this is the direction I should go. So I immediately went to Ohio state and got a degree in natural resources. (laughs) And, uh, cause you know, what's your dad know when you're 18? Right. Um, I'm living that right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I did it with my son and he now works for me, but, uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, Got a degree, and then I went on and got a, a, a graduate degree in something other than this. And yet, during the whole time, I found myself repeatedly drawn into working with information technology um, until finally I was approached by a IT function,
0: and that kind of Doug. I just we you, you just you just blipped out for a minute. So somebody oh, sorry you, about that start start that last phrase over again.
1: Sure, yeah. So I uh
0: you were approached I by I was
1: approached by somebody. Yeah, I was approached by somebody that uh I was doing some strategic planning work for and they wanted me to assist them in sort of reorganizing their IT function. And that ended up being the beginning of some consulting work that eventually turned into um, stints as a CIO in various organizations. Um, eventually, I, I was the executive vice president of an industrial robotics company that made the largest production industrial robots in the world. Uh, I ended up doing some, some uh, work in a financial services startup and then ended up in healthcare IT as well where I uh, actually ran the data centers for the large public hospital here in Indianapolis
0: for a number of so years. So you've had your your hand in everything from from very early yeah. as a child all the way through to the most cutting edge largest industrial technology there is.
1: Very much so. Yeah. It's been it been an interesting career to um you know go from a time when we literally <laughs> built the stuff out of components and if you wanted software you wrote it to where we're at today where it's this you know trillions of dollars industry with very sophisticated products and offerings and it permeates everything
0: right so so now you are the C- CEO and CTO is that what it was correct of brightworks right, right. um IT uh, so, so how did you, why did you start that? If you were in these, if you were at the, at the hospital or, um healthcare and you had all these different positions, why come back and focus on small, small practices, small businesses? Yeah.
1: So I, I had, uh, I had been working for a couple consulting companies, uh, after I left the hospital, uh, one where I ran their entire infrastructure practice and And I was really very dissatisfied with the quality of service that was being delivered Mm -hmm. by most IT service companies, particularly to smaller firms, particularly to smaller businesses. Um, I, I felt there was way too much focus on the technology and way too little focus on the business and the people. Uh, so about eight years ago, I said, you know, uh, the only way I'm ever really going to get to do the kinds of things that I want to do is if I start my own company, um, carefully sort of curate the kinds of companies that I'm working with, uh, and basically retrain everybody that I hire because too many of the people, uh, in my industry, again, they, they're, they're very fascinated by the blinky lights, <laughs> um, but they're not terribly interested in what all that means for businesses, for people who are using it. Um, so we we kicked off eight years ago with, with what I thought was a very different model. And uh, it's proven to be that. We've had great success in what we're doing uh, with an approach that is Extremely business focused, extremely people focused, versus technology focused.
0: Yeah, I could see that there's a huge demand for that. I mean, as a small business owner for a long time, I've come up through that technology as well. Where you know, we st- when I started in architecture, we were drafting, and then we, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was one of the first people using CAD, and then we, you know, went through that whole process and that whole transition. Um, and I have had experience. Uh, with i t companies with both my business and other people that I was working with, and you're right. It's always about the technology that we're never very good with the human side of it and I mm-hmm. could imagine that the people who are attracted to technology and that world tend to be people who do that because they don't mm-hmm. want to deal with people and so absolutely has it been difficult to build a company around that philosophy and that culture? And having to retrain people to sort of shift their mindset from the technology first to the human first.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's been certainly there have been challenges, particularly on the staffing side, yeah. right? Um, in, in that uh, you know a lot of people, particularly more experienced people, can be a challenge for us at first if we bring mm-hmm. them on. So we have to kind of very carefully interview. Um, where we've really ended up is heavily investing in apprenticeships. Um, We work actually with a local organization, Apprentice University, that is a a college alternative. And we bring in apprentices for five, six months at a time. Uh, Young people who are college age, uh, who frankly, haven't developed the bad
0: habits yet, right? Right, and and know? that generation also is much more social right. from the get go naturally. Even though it's coming through technology, they are naturally more uh, engaged with other people,
1: right? And and use the technology to do it, so yeah. it's not nearly as as difficult to climb for them. Yeah, it's more intuitive. And, uh, yeah, it's much more intuitive, um, and and so we've had a lot more success kind of going that way. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my longest standing employee is kind of a guy that's come through the traditional, uh, IT path, but, but he, he learned, right? I mean, he's been with us the really the entire eight years and, uh, he was able to pick it up. He has a different approach. My director of managed services was, uh, IT director at the Indiana department of housing for 17 years, uh, But he is naturally a very gregarious, outgoing, uh, extroverted individual, despite his very high level of technical expertise. So we've been lucky to find the right people if we can't grow them. Uh, And I think we've kind of come to the point where people like that tend to seek us out and people who are not like that have started to get the word that maybe... That isn't the place I want to go work. Right, because yeah. they're you know they're going to ask us they're going to ask me to do things that I don't really want
0: to do. Yeah, they're self selecting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's fantastic. I think it's a much needed uh, service that you're providing, and I'm and I'm sure that uh, as you grow and you become more successful, I'm sure other IT companies who are focused on this smaller business segment mm-hmm. uh, are going to have to do that same thing. I think even large companies. Are starting Mm -hmm. to make that shift as well because they see that the technology is just a tool now; it's not this special thing anymore, and that it's just part of the process of what we do in in every business, including architecture. Um, It's just yeah, the the
1: the glass room priesthood of you know that that evolved out of the mainframe era doesn't fly. Uh, You've got to develop the collaborative skills. You've got to develop the social interactional skills. Um, one of the things we really love about the Apprentice University folks is uh, the, these kids come and they work for us four days a week, and then on Fridays they go to class. And the classes they're taking are classes like entrepreneurship, yeah, yeah, and and design thinking, right? Um, things like that, not. Engaged solely in engineering classes with other engineering people, uh, who are all sitting there trying to ignore everybody else in the classroom because they don't want to talk to people. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, that's the the sort of thing that I think are, are going to be the skills that people in this industry and others, right, are going to need because they w- we're more and more collaborating not just within organizations, but across organizations.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting um, to watch uh, our society shift using this technology. And many people sort of had the fear that technology would pull people away from one another because now we have these tools between us. But in fact, Mm -hmm. what you're seeing is that people are becoming much more connected more connected than they ever been because of the technology and so those relationships and the and the societal social uh network is is sort of increasing and becoming tighter and tighter as the technology grows
1: absolutely um you know to the extent that you almost have some of the living in a small town dynamic applying across everything right uh, with yeah. with with all of its positives and negatives, right? you know, right. people, people maybe know stuff that you really don't want them to know. Um, having grown up in a small town in in Western Ohio, um, you know, that was always a thing. People people knew about you. And now we're doing that on a. Yeah, I fell apart, didn't
0: I? Yeah, it dropped again. So now we're doing that on yep. a, is where you left off.
1: Yeah. So now we're you know now we're doing that on a national or global scale.
0: Yeah. So I, I, it's amazing to watch this, and it's it's very interesting to uh, to talk about how you've developed your company because you're right at that that cutting edge. You're right there as the society is shifting. You have already uh, built a company that works for that. And we are currently, we're, and I typically don't date uh, one of these podcasts, but this podcast is being recorded during the week of the big Corona uh, virus crisis that's happening throughout the world. Um, and and the, 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 we're, we're at the moment, and I, I, we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record. This is, this is fascinating to me. We will look back at this week as a societal shift, global societal shift from the way we used to do business to the way we do business now. Um, because of the fact that so many businesses are going remote, so many universities are going remote. My son goes to Syracuse University and m- many if not most universities are following that same model where they're sending kids home for, for spring break and said don't come back, we're gonna do this remotely. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's happening all throughout the world. Uh, in order to get this virus under control. And so uh, it's, a, it's a topic that you have been talking about for a long time, it's a topic that I've been talking about for a long time of building these remote studios, having a virtual studio, however you wanna call it, a distributed team where your team is remote throughout the, the world. Um, it's now being forced upon us at a higher level. Uh, right? And so this is a very timely conversation Uh, and I'd love to, to have that conversation with you. So, and that's a specialty of yours. That's something that you're passionate about talking about. So can you sort of go back a little bit and talk about how it is, has evolved for you? And then we'll, we'll talk about maybe how some of our listeners can, uh, take some lessons and some tools that you may be able to present to us to be able to do it in a more effective way. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It, It, it's kind of interesting. I, uh,
1: I really first started kind of dealing with the the, the remote company thing um, probably as far back as about 1996. Um, I very very early on got really really interested in this uh, this this new thing called the internet and and particularly the World Wide Web uh, back in about 1996.
0: Very very early. Um,
1: yeah, there there was a, actually just, I think, this past week, an article in, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly which magazine it was, but it was about the presidential primary campaign websites that were done in 1996, which was the first presidential primary campaign where that was possible. Yeah. And uh, because of some family connections that I have, I was actually responsible for doing the coding work on one of those websites. And uh, they were atrocious. They were incredibly, (laughs) horribly bad. (laughs) Um, Because we didn't have any tools or anything at that time. But I got very, very interested in it and started my own web development studio. Uh, I was very much on the technical side as well as kind of handling the sales side. And I had a partner who was really the artistic side and the layout and design side. Uh, I lived in Indiana. She lived in North Carolina and we had to figure out a way that we could work effectively together to develop websites. And there simply were no tools at the time. Yeah, things nobody had them.
0: Yeah, 1996, none of that existed. Uh, Email was new.
1: Right, right, exactly. And email was way too slow a a loop. So we started relying on things like Internet Relay Chat and uh, and and other tools that let us kind of have presence uh, with each other to you know. talking in in more real time. Uh, You know, you you couldn't even do video conferencing back then. It didn't exist. You you couldn't even deliver video on the PC. Yeah,
0: video was way, way later.
1: Right. Um, And and so we ran that company for, uh, you know, two, three years completely remotely. Um, We might see each other once every six months to just, you know, kind of get together and, and have some human presence. But... Um, otherwise, it was all completely remote, and we were developing these websites. So I got real interested in it at that time, and trying to figure out how to make this really work. And and people said to us, you know, you're you're just crazy. You what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you don't, I can imagine. You know, you, you don't see your colleague every day, and how do you get anything done? And and yet we were able to be pretty effective at it, mostly because you just work, right? I mean, the the core thought process was we got to do it. So instead of standing around talking about how this won't work, let's just get on with it. And we did.
0: Yeah. And you still had the telephone and, and, and IRC worked. I mean, there was AOL. I was, I was an early adopter as well of the internet and I was on AOL. I was having real time conversations through, through chat on AOL. So the technology was there. Yeah, uh, it was just it was very slow. It was very inconsistent. I could imagine that it was extremely frustrating to um, to to work that way because I know that I was frustrated when I was trying to do anything that I wanted to do on the internet because it was either too slow or didn't have enough capacity. Yep. or or it kept dropping. The reliability of the internet was a disaster until only a few years ago. Oh, um, exactly. So I could imagine that it was very frustrating to try to do that sort of remote model so so early yeah
1: and and you know we were doing things that you know were absolutely unheard of i i actually was running a web server out of my house um i had uh a, a dual channel 128k isdn connection coming into my house
0: that was that was um, that was high high technology
1: oh yeah that was that was cutting edge yeah. man and and it was expensive right i mean i was paying way more for that than than you'd pay for a very high end residential connection today and it wasn't terribly reliable even then right but, um <clears throat> you know um but we did it we we were able to pull it off and i think that really convinced me pretty early on that this was doable this was real uh, and, and it was something that was going to happen in the future. Uh, more and more companies were going to utilize this. But one thing that became very obvious was it, it, it wasn't just about the technology. You had to have the mindset, you mm-hmm. had to to be the kind of organization that could do it right i mean we we were lucky we both wanted to do it and we didn't have a whole organizational hierarchy that didn't believe in it so we didn't have anybody to try and convince we didn't have cultural barriers to make this happen cuz we were a small business and we were both you know creative people and and we could just do it so I, I think what I saw through that process, and and you know, most of these lessons didn't become obvious to me until years later thinking about it, but it's it's a one-two punch. You've got to have the tools and technology, but at the same time, the organization has to be ready for this. The organization has to have the culture, the organization has to have... A way of looking at things that allow it to happen.
0: Yeah, people
1: uh, barriers are huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We 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 are we've been slowly moving toward this moment in our society where the tools and technology uh, have been getting better and better and better and more reliable. And now the tools and technology are there to do the practice that we do as small firm architects. The tools are there. I do it. I've been doing it for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, Many people in our community are doing it as part of just just the way they do it But you're right that it's that you have to have this moment in time uh, Where we are at that moment we are at that tipping point where the tools and technology are now Reliable enough to be able to use them on a consistent basis But then there's the other side where the mindset needs to be there as well the discipline in order to follow the 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 systems that need to be developed in order for this right. process to work, you have to have very uh, specific systems for the business side, not the technology side, but the people side. Right. You need to have systems in order for that discipline to become more natural and more everyday part of what you do and so those two things happening are happening at the same time where the technology is getting better and it's, and is is at the moment right now where we're talking about this the technology of Zoom and, and um, Google right. Drive or Dropbox, all of these tools have become very reliable, have become very consistent where just a few years ago, they would drop off all the time with a video call or the Dropbox, you'd send something to Dropbox and you'd never see it again. It, that never happens anymore. It's all very smooth right. and consistent. And then the, others, yeah. the human side has also evolved to the point where people have been looking at this as a future it's no longer the future we're starting to do it now and now because of the situation that we're in it's hap- it's we're being forced that mindset mindset shift is happening for us we're having to shift our mind and the way we work and this moment is that tipping point
1: uh, i agree completely it's it's very interesting for us and we're 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 kind of busy right now because our customers are reaching out to us and saying you know hey we realize we're going to have to deal with
0: it. Yeah, this. I'm sure you're very busy and you're only yeah, going to get busier because right. you are the one that's going to provide the service for those Exactly. Those we are
1: somebody said to me the other day, they they said, you know, we're looking at this and we're trying to figure it out and um but but you guys, I mean, you are the remote work guys. And I said, yeah, you're right. We are. Um we we've as a company always worked that way from day 1. Um Brightworks has been primarily a remote company. Um, we've never had office space. Uh, we we have in the last few months utilized some co-working space uh, when we need to get together, but everybody is either working at a customer or working from home most of the time. And we've had to institute a number of things. There's, there's behaviors that you have to have um, that I think a lot of people are about to learn. Some of them are about to learn them the hard way.
0: We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, FreshBooks and RCAP. 192 hours. In case you're wondering, 192 hours works out to two business days per month. Why the math? Well. If you're an architect and you're using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of admin time you can save every year. How? FreshBooks is so fast and easy to use that it changes the way you deal with your paperwork. FreshBooks is the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, will get you paid faster. You can create and send really professional looking invoices in under 30 seconds. When you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it which puts an end to those guessing games. If waiting for a client check in the mail is slowing down your cash flow, with literally two clicks, you can set yourself up to receive payments online. Oh, and your clients will love paying by credit card straight from their invoice. FreshBooks helps you avoid having that awkward talk with your clients about past due payments. FreshBooks automatically sends late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic on the drafting board or on the computer. If you have any questions whatsoever, FreshBooks award-winning customer service is amazingly helpful, super friendly, and zero attitude. Plus a real live person usually answers the phone in three rings or less. To claim your month-long unrestricted free trial, go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. Have you been to arcat.com recently? It's the number one most used website for finding building product information. Their powerful search tool allows you to choose what kind of information you want, like CAD, BIM, specifications, and only get results with that data. RCAT is also constantly fine-tuning their search engine to make sure that you keep getting the information that you asked for. And of course, it's free. It requires no registration, no login, no credit card. If you need product building information and you haven't used RCAT recently, or maybe you've never tried RCAT, head over there right now to RCAT.com and try it out. You'll be glad you did. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com, rcat.com com. Build better content today. FreshBooks and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community.
1: When you switch to some of these tools and one of the things I, I remember, we were, we may have been in the first 10 companies to actually subscribe to Slack. Uh, we beta tested it and the day that it went live um, within minutes of them accepting subscriptions we had signed up and uh, they they actually said to us yeah you're probably one of the first ten but initially it was difficult for me to get a lot of the team to use Slack because they were used to email and you know, one of the behaviors as the the owner and the head of the company I had to institute was, look, if you send me an email, I'm not responding to it.
0: Right. You have to you have to force that discipline.
1: Right. Right. We had to force that discipline. We had to. You know, and, and then once we forced it, it caused us to start thinking through. OK, so how do we really use this? Right. I mean. how how do we organize it? How do we not have this crazy proliferation of channels and how do we actually find information? How do we make this work for us? Um, and we've done that with technology after technology, which has led us to be able to talk about it with our customers, uh, who are, you know, kind of adopting it after we do, um, but you do see some really interesting challenging kinds of things i mean um one one thing that we have very frequently been asked about is uh companies small design studios for example or or engineering firms we our, our primary work is with uh architecture engineering design construction management and um you know, many of these these firms, small firms, are owned by a principal or principals, uh, some of whom are of you know, my generation or a little bit older, and they didn't grow up with this stuff the way I did. And so when you suddenly roll systems out that have the capacity for you know, direct messaging between employees, well, you know a lot of times owners kind of want to see what, what, what's everybody talking about?
0: Yeah, they feel like they've lose, they're losing control. Right,
1: they're losing control. And, and who do they turn to, right? They, they turn to us. Well, I want to see that stuff. Well, you know, sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can't do that, depending on the tool. But the question I, I always have to ask these folks is, you know, look, is, is this a technology problem or is this a management problem?
0: Right, a cultural problem
1: right? Is this a cultural issue? Um, do we really want to address this by, by, you know, giving you the power to see every employee's instant message? Or do you want to address the thing that's causing the problem that you think people are talking about?
0: Right. And that's, that's the human side of what you do. Right. right, right There's a perfect example of that, that it's not about the technology, it's about the people. Exactly.
1: You know, we, we probably could come up with a way for you to see this, but, yeah, but number one, I don't know should. that you really want to, right? Right? <laughs> right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to find here in the coming week as people start having to work more remotely, their, uh, teams start going home and they're trying to, uh, you know, utilize all these different channels, uh, they're not sitting in the office and you're, you're going to get those kind of conversations going on directly between employees that, you know, they're no longer sitting in an open plan office where you can overhear all of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a and, cultural shift. That's and mm-hmm. that's that's something that if you have a strong uh, culture where your staff is is um, uh, reliable and loyal and you've built that culture into the way that your people work and there's trust in, you know, as part of that culture, then that's not a problem that, that becomes a problem when that culture has not been cultivated, where there's distrust. And there's, there's, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the idea of talking behind somebody's back, you know, Mm -hmm. gossip is accepted. Mm -hmm. And now you have a tool that can take that, you know, 10 X if you have, if you have a culture and that's not a technology problem, that's a, that's a cultural problem. That's a, that's a, a lack of managing that and cultivating the the culture of success in your firm.
1: Right. And and that's the big challenge I, that we find for yeah, I can imagine. You know, uh, small and and mid sized firms is they're they're just not used to that.
0: And that's not something you can fix with technology. No. You can't you no. can't just say, Oh, I have a solution for that. <laughs> no, I can't I you know?
1: can't go, well, you know, you just bought the wrong tool. Yeah right that that isn't the problem right you have to it's,
0: start from this from the beginning and go back exactly. to your culture and start rebuilding the way your firm works
1: right I, exactly and and that that can also apply with customer relationships mm-hmm. vendor relationships um, yeah, it's great, right we have tools now that we can share stuff with customers or share stuff with vendors but you know, what kind of relationship do we have with them that, and and, and how is the technology going to impact that, right? I mean, uh everybody loves to be face-to-face with their customer and great, you know, you should be a lot of times, but now we have the capability to not do that. So what did you do? To cultivate and build a relationship, not just between maybe you as the principal and or your business development person, but but suddenly you have all these you know designers or engineers or architects um, or financial services people we deal a lot with that who are going to be interacting remotely with a customer that maybe never have had to do that before. Yeah. So. We have to start, you know, figuring out, uh, training people. How, how do you communicate remotely?
0: Yeah. It's, Cause it, it's
1: a different skill.
0: It's so interesting to have this conversation, Doug, because when, when I invited you on the show, I thought this would be all about tools and, tools and technology. And, and it, it all comes back down to every... I talk about this all the time on the show. It comes down to, to uh, systems. It comes down to people mm-hmm. systems. Uh, because exactly. the, the tools and technology are easy. You Slack, right. you you know set set up Slack, set up Dropbox, set up Zoom, mm-hmm. set up uh, Revit um, remote package, yeah. and you're done. You have a remote studio. You could start today. Exactly. And, but now, how do you implement those tools and that technology to be successful? That's that's yeah. the piece. That's the 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 difficult piece, and that's a people piece, that is. not a technical right.
1: piece. That is the that's the tough hill to climb that That requires introspection, it requires planning. You can't just throw the stuff at it right and 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 we do we get that request all the time. we get the well, you know we won't I'm right it's
0: we dropped off again we yeah, get we uh, get the, that we get that request all the time.
1: Yeah, we get that request all the time for, you know, what what project collaboration tool do you folks recommend? And that's the wrong question. There's dozens of them out there.
0: Right. Pick anyone. <laughs>
1: Pick anyone. Yeah, it it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, there may be a feature here or right. there that is you, you know, unique and a good match for your your practice. But what's far more important is what, what systems, what people systems are you going to build on the back end for how you're going to use this tool?
0: Yeah, very interesting.
1: Otherwise, it's, you're go going ahead. to spend a bunch of money. You're going to put it in place and then nobody's going to use it.
0: Right, right. So we have we have small firms and sole practitioners listening and they want to do this. Many of them are already doing it. There, many of them have been thinking about doing it for a long time and now they want to do it. Do you have any suggestions for them on how to sort of you just said you need to plan this out. What could you maybe give us a few steps of say, this is what we need to do. Step one, step two, step three. How do we make this transition from a more physical studio to a more remote studio?
1: Right, right. So so number one, um, I think the 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 most base thing is that you got to take a hard look, right, if you're a small studio and you've got other people you're working with. Do you have people that, first of all, you really do trust to go home and work, to go remote and work, right? If you're not going to trust them, if you don't have that level of trust yeah. that you think they're actually going to go home and do this, then there is no amount of technology that I can throw at this that's going to fix that problem. Right. So so think about that and really go, you know, are these people that I feel comfortable if they're not under my eye all the time, are going to be productive. Right along with that is, is probably some training or at least some conversations if you have people who have not done that. And I'm seeing a lot of articles about this right now on the Internet as people are having to make this work-from-home transition. How do you work from home? Um, there's a lot of distractions if you go work from home, if if you go work remotely. Um, it's really tough. You know, you get up, you go downstairs to get a cup of coffee, and you notice that, ah, there's some stuff on the counter, I ought to clean that up, and 45 minutes later, you found that you've engaged in a house cleaning ritual <laughs> instead of actually doing work, right, or you know, you took the dog for a walk because the dog needed to go out and, you know, you just got sucked into it. Um, a lot of people don't know how to do this. They don't know how to work from home. The, the other piece of that that can be really challenging to them is it can be very isolating for a lot of people. Yeah. So thinking through what you're going to do as a company to address the, the issue of isolation, are you going to have a space where people can kind of come together on a semi-regular basis to collaborate, even though they're maybe primarily working from home? You know, how do you maybe transform the space that you have into a collaboration area as opposed to a, a day-to-day working area? Right. Um, are, are there, you know. Formal kinds of things. We we have in our company, we have a Monday morning meeting that is an in-person, everybody show up, and we get together for an hour, and we talk about what the week's going to look like. Um, just so that we have that touch point. What, what processes are you going to put in place to do that? Then, yes, we need to start looking at the tools, but but even before we look at the tools let's really think about do we have the infrastructure that's going to support this style of working and this is a place where we find a lot of people fall down they you know just like plumbing if you know, if if you suddenly had 30 people show up at your house to stay for a month you know would your plumbing actually handle that and in a lot of cases it won't right you you, you don't have enough showers you don't have enough sinks etc um the, the 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 drains can't handle it and infrastructure is often the same we're suddenly going to ask people to go work from home and do all these remote things am i still there or do i yes fall? no you're here okay yep um and and we don't plan for it. We don't have the network for it. Um, we we're maybe using um, versions of Azure, for example, that are self-hosted as opposed to cloud-hosted. And we, um, you know, we 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 never bought enough VPN licenses for our firewall. You need somebody that can help you look at those things,
0: right? And even even the the internet connection at both ends. Yes. The internet connection so. at at your at the place of business, as well as the internet connections. Now you have you're sending people home; they're right. going to use their internet connection. So if their inter- internet connection is an old dial-up, it's not going to work very well, right? So, and nobody really well, has or, anymore. Or,
1: but. You know, we've run into situations where people have been sent home, and and it turns out that the only internet connection they have, because they live out in the country, they live in a rural spot. Um, you know, they they they're doing satellite internet. Yeah. Well, that's just not gonna work it, it It's just not reliable enough. The bandwidth isn't there. Um, in fact, one of the things that that um, sort of prompted me to really think about a lot of this this week uh, is you know, we kind of have a unique situation happening here as people are being forced to do this. Uh, while there are companies that have thought about this remote work from home, even on a temporary basis from a business continuity perspective, they only thought about it from the perspective of their company needing to do it. They didn't think about it from the perspective of every company around them needing to do it. So, you know, I I know we're going to start getting calls from our customers here in the next Forty-eight to seventy-two hours, where not only did you know one one member of the the family come home to work, but you know the spouse is home to
0: work. Right, right now you got three people, you know, and the oldest child is also working from home. Yeah, the kid
1: is home for e-learning, and and now you know all of a sudden that. Very interesting. you know, 30 by 10 internet connection that was good enough for occasional work from home is, is saturated. That's going to happen all around the world because that's going right. to happen. And, and not only that, but it's a cable modem connection. So it's actually shared infrastructure in the neighborhood. So not only are you doing this, but all your neighbors are doing
0: it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> right. You know, as this goes live next week, this is probably going to, uh, people are going to be experiencing this.
1: Exactly. I I mean, it's going to hit. If your internet is crashing, that's why. (laughs) Right. That's right. You know, everybody is home and, uh, they're not casually using it. They're, they're determinedly using it. Everybody's on video and right, right. Everybody's trying to do video. Everybody's trying to upload to Dropbox, um, you know, many people's home connection is is an asynchronous connection. It's got a fast download speed, but a slow upload speed. Um, those are the kind of things that you need to think about is, you know, what what do my people really have? Great. I've got a wonderful internet connection in the office. Superb. But the people that I've sent home or that are working remote, do they have that same capability? Um, and, and, you know, now comes a policy kind of thing. If I'm asking them to work from home, well,
0: who's paying for that connection? Right, exactly. Right, right? so if we have to increase our, or improve our infrastructure at the, homes, at the home end, Who mm-hmm. who pays for that increase in right. I- infrastructure?
1: Exactly. Now here's another complexity. So they're home, they're trying to work, and it's not working very well. And they've got some kind of internet service provider or an IT person in their company or whatever that's supposed to be supporting them. Most of those companies will not go to people's houses. Right. So so how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, well that may be ha- like you said that may have to be a policy shift because of the way right. we're we're now doing business differently that's going to have to be looked at and say well do we go to everyone's home and make sure that they have the adequate infrastructure to make a- this work
1: absolutely it it is something out of my head
0: yeah dropped again
1: yeah the, a lot of my colleagues uh you know look at me as as we we go on site and a lot of my colleagues look at me as if i've you know grown a foot out of my head <laughs> Because I'm doing that. Um,
0: But But they're going to be doing it too, because it's going to have to happen.
1: They're going to be doing it. Right. They're going to have to. They don't see that they're, they're going to do it, but they will. Um, Who, who intercedes with, you know, suddenly, whereas in the past you might have one company that's got a single internet service provider to the office, now all these employees are working from home and maybe there's a half dozen internet service providers that are providing service to people in their homes. Do do I really want an architect when there's a network outage spending an hour on the phone with spectrum? Right. Right. You know, probably not. Right. So, so how are we dealing with that? And, Answering those kind of questions and thinking that through and having somebody in your court who, who understands that stuff and can speak to it and help you come up with solutions is way more important than the convoluted discussions we've seen over should we use Slack or should we use Microsoft Teams?
0: Right, exactly. It's, it's so interesting because when I ask you for the plan, Right? Everybody thought, okay, well, what tools is he going to tell us about? And you started with people and, and that you have to have discipline and you have to have people with trust and, and you have to talk about that, that conversation of, of uh, productivity versus hours. Are we going to look at this as mm-hmm. are, are, is our staff going to be productive and that's the goal or is it how many hours are they going to be sitting in the mm-hmm. chair? Because that's a mm-hmm. mindset shift yep. um, and the isolation issue. That's people, that's the first piece of it. Then you started talking Mm -hmm. about spaces, and the space at home, and the space, the collaborative space at the office. So that's the second piece. Haven't gotten the tools yet, we're at people, then we started talking about spaces, then we started talking about the infrastructure, the pipes that are coming into your house, not the literal pipes, but the the internet Mm -hmm. connections at both ends, and how we're going to uh, not only have one person at home, but maybe three people at home, and three people at home, times the 100 people in your neighborhood, all using the same internet at the same time. That's a that's an issue that you have to talk about and how your company's going to address that. Then, after all of that, then maybe we could start picking some tools that right. may work for us. And literally, you could probably pick any of the top brand tools because they all work. It,
1: they all work. Yeah, it that that's kind of a non issue, right? It it's like people come to me and say, Well, you know, what what brand of PC do you recommend? I, I don't care. One that works.
0: Right. Right. Right?
1: <laughs> it it doesn't matter anymore. Those are commodity items. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the wrong discussions. And if you're mired in those, you're spending your time not talking about the stuff that's actually gonna make a difference to your business.
0: Yeah, fascinating conversation, Doug. I, I appreciate you coming on here and having this conversation. We're gonna bump this conversation up into the schedule because I want people to have it. Um, but before I let you go here, I want you to, we went through the process, the people, the space, the infrastructure, then the tools, and there's probably other things too, but that's sort of, if you're going to build out a plan, follow that process um, and ask those questions, and then you'll you'll be more successful when you get when you get to start working this way. But if there was one thing that a small firm architect can do today right now, uh, to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that be? Um, I would say, and
1: and this sounds a little self-serving and I don't mean it to sound self-serving, but evaluate who is helping you with technology Mm -hmm. and Don't view your technology as a cost. View it as a strategic resource. And understand that you need, however you're going to do that, whether it's an outside service provider, somebody on your team, yourself. That resource has to be someone who who also sees this as a business resource, focus on how you can leverage the technology as a business tool, not a necessary evil cost.
0: That's th- and I want to ex- expand on that a little bit, Doug. The, the, if somebody was, I mean, if somebody's in Indiana, they can call you. But if, sure. if, if we have people all over the world. So when we look for someone who can help us with these problems that we're about to face, um and we're looking for a company like brightworks what are the one or two questions that they should ask first to determine uh that th- it is a company like brightworks that's more people focused before technology
1: yeah I, and I, I think they could literally ask that question right <laughs> um, people versus technology you know, right just just flat out ask the question right what is your focus and and explain to me how you work with people um they're, they're going to tip their hand a little bit, right? right. What If are they, they gonna start
0: stuttering about? all over right. themselves, yeah. then that's yeah. not a people-focused company.
1: Yeah, if they come in and they want to talk about about speeds and feeds and hardware and software first and they want to tell you all the cool stuff that they can can put in your office, they're not a people-focused company, um. But, but yeah, I mean, just ask them flat out to talk about what are your processes for working with our people? Um, How do you view our industry? What do you know about our, our challenges as a small architecture firm? And, and how can you help us leverage technology? And, you know, again, if they go back immediately towards, well, you know, we represent such and such particular tool if that's where they start that's the wrong place yeah keep looking yeah. yeah
0: very interesting a very very interesting conversation because it it's not it didn't go in the direction that i thought it would but it is absolutely <laughs> the right conversation at the right time so doug thank you very very much for joining me here doug miller is his name you can learn all about doug and his company brightworks at brightworksgroup.net brightworksgroup.net. We'll have all that information on the show notes. Uh, Doug, thank you very much for uh, sharing your knowledge here in such a critical time. This has been very valuable. Uh, And thanks for joining me here today at Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Okay. This has been a crazy week. As we, we wrap up this first week of social distancing, as they're calling it, I want you to know that we're here for you over the years entre architect has grown to become a family where we watch out for one another and we support one another and we share with one another working remotely from home may be new to some of you for others it's just another day at the office like me this is i this is how i've been working for for years Um, if for any reason you need help making this transition either as an employee or as a leader of a small firm please let us know please let us know. If you need help, we're here. Know that we're here for you. Doug is available. I'm available. Um, You can reach me directly anytime at my email, mark at entrearchitect.com or on Facebook. Just DM me. If you're a member and have access to the member forum on Slack, I'm available to you there as well. You can just direct message me there. This is what I want you to know. You are not alone. We're here for you. I'm here for you. My team is here for you. The thousands of other members of this wonderful community, we are all here for you. Just reach out if you need us. Um, I also want to mention two things that you may want to consider as things slow down in the next couple couple weeks. Um, this is a great time to invest in yourself and invest in your firm. This crisis is going to end soon and your clients are going to want to ramp back up fast. I have two suggestions for you. First, our friends over at F9 Productions and Inside the Firm Podcast, Lance and Al, they have reduced the price of their Revit course, Revit Rocketship, by 50%. You've been wanting to make this transition to BIM for a while now. I know many of you have been thinking about this. Now is a perfect time to do that while things slow down. To learn more about their offer, you can go to RevitRocketship.com, RevitRocketship.com, and learn all about Revit Rocket Ship and their program. Second, each year Steve Wintner, the co-author of Financial Management for Design Professionals and the editor of the financial management chapters of the AIA Handbook of Professional Practice, Steve and I team up every year to teach financial management to the members of the Entree Architect community. The first session of this year's program, the Entree Architect P2P Profit Workshop, is scheduled to start this Tuesday. March 24th. And so we're going to extend enrollment through the weekend into Monday, the day before it starts. Enrollment will close on Monday, March 23rd, 2020 at 12 noon, 12 noon Eastern time. We're going to close enrollment on Monday, March 23rd at 12 noon Eastern time. So don't let this opportunity go to waste. Leverage this time that you have to invest in yourself and invest in your firm, invest in your future, to learn more about the workshop and to enroll, uh, visit entrearchitect.com slash profit workshop, entrearchitect.com slash profit workshop. We will have links to everything that Doug and I referenced in this most important episode. This is a very timely episode. I know many of you are dealing with this right now. We'll have all the links that we talked about in the show notes, as well as links to Revit Rocketship and Entrearchitect profit workshop at entrearchitect.com slash episode 315. entrearchitect.com slash episode 315. Everything will be over there. Be well, be safe, and look out for one another. Remember, we're a family. There are people out there who need you. So if you see somebody struggling, reach out to them and let them know that you are there for them. Now more than ever, love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening, my friends. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) meant (laughs) Calling all small firm architects, it's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architect's context and clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be artists are temperamental so beautiful design is going to be a priority when the job is done we're going to actually need to live in the house not live with the person who designed it (laughs) and so uh, for me the the artistic skill the architectural skill is most important and so i would say like that would be 60 percent of it if not more gain insights to build a successful practice subscribe engage and let's redefine your future together Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.